0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got a great show again today. We'll talk in a few moments. This is a good topic. I wish I, in some ways, I wish I'd taken this topic up earlier. We have Professor Benjamin Barton, Ben Barton from the University of Tennessee Law School. He wrote a book called The Credentialed Court, and it's basically about how the Supreme Court has become really, really an insider game. Yale and Harvard, Yale and Harvard, nothing else. And a uh, very interesting book, interesting guy, very good interview. We'll talk with him in a few moments. And my friend Hal Shirtliff, who runs the camp constitution well he's also getting out and being a part of alternative places alternative viewpoints on uh, news he's got uh, something called catching fire news catching fire dot news we'll talk with him and get more all right but what do you need to know today what do you need to know today well i have to say um. Here is the thing. If you go over, I tell you often go to politico.com. The, the way to see what's happening is in fact, and I do it for you a lot, is go and look at Politico, which is always left, but sanely left. Go to CNN, which is just apologists for the Democrats. Go to MSNBC. These are hysterical people on the far left. And then go back to Fox News. And Fox News is sort of establishment Republican, pretty conservative. You go to Newsmax and see a little more edginess, although they get a little nervous. Uh, One American News is being silenced. But, you know, you go Breitbart.com, you'll see what's really happening. Well, you move your way around those, and I do it for you, and you start to pick up what's happening. Here is one thing. That's very, very interesting. Uh, in fact, I know this. John Schlafly's new column, we'll talk to him about it tomorrow, is about this. It's about the immigration crisis. And, of course, we've already heard from Todd Benzman about this problem. Todd Benzman's uh, reporting down on the border about uh, Title 42 imploding and uh, being allowed to have almost 20,000 illegals every single month pouring across the border. All that's happening. So, But here's what you need to know. They're starting to be amongst Democrats, Congressman, excuse me, Senator Kelly of Arizona, Senator Manchin of West Virginia, a growing expression. They're saying out loud what they were saying behind closed doors, and that is the Biden administration's policy on immigration is going to cost them. Now, here's how you really know it's true over at Politico, where I told you they are you know center left but pretty sophisticated they're not hysterical like MSNBC they have good writers and they try to mask it a little bit well they've got a lengthy piece and the title is about how messaging on the border the messaging messaging about the border and what's happened is going to start is worrying democrats it's not the policy it's the messaging and quite literally they say we're worried about the ads the ads because we're starting to see images of an invasion. There's no other word. And I'm reminded of the famous Pete Wilson ads. He was running for governor. I think it was 1994. Could have been 19. I don't think it was 1998. It was in the 90s. And he ran ads. And one of the sort of taglines, the voiceover said, they just keep coming. And there was images of illegals going through the toll booths on the border. And he won his election. He swung back from down 20 points and he won his election. And a lot and most people attributed it to those ads. There were two of them companion ads. And the point was Pete Wilson, who later tried to be more moderate on the issue of immigration and wanted to be a national leader and run for office and thought he had to moderate. He knew at that time that voters felt wrong about what was happening. So the Democrats are saying out loud what they've been saying behind closed doors. The policy is bad, but the politics is worse. And that's what I think you're going to see coming. You're going to see now the politics get bad. But here's my word of warning. And what you need to know the politics may be bad for democrats but what they're doing to the country is horrendous really scary what they're doing to the country so watch for that all right we'll take a break and we'll come back we got a lot more don't forget visit proamericareport.com proamericareport.com ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report i've been looking forward to speaking with professor ben barton Um, he has written a number of books and uh, I I got him on the schedule a few weeks ago uh, and I've been plowing through his book. I I just told him off air. I haven't read the whole thing. My listeners know, uh, Professor, that I I read a ton. I I tend to read the first and last chapter of books and then try to keep fighting my way through them. But uh, Professor Ben Barton is the Helen and Charles Lockett Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of Tennessee. He has written a number of books uh, um, uh, on uh, fixing. I like the one, Fixing Law School. I like that title. I'll read that next. But this one is called the credentialed court. And uh, he is looking at the Supreme Court and saying, "Um, wait a second, is this really the best we can do in terms of the people on the court were drawing them from the same places. In fact, I thought of you, Professor Barton, uh, because there was a conversation, I think it was Ted Cruz, that was talking about Judge Brown Jackson, who sat on the board of Georgetown Prep, maybe, which is where Justice Kavanaugh went to school. And I think Ted Cruz was saying, you know, what's going on here? Up here, I'm mischaracterizing him on purpose, but up here in the swamp, everybody's in the same schools. Is that what's going on? But it's a serious point because the worldview of the justices matters and where they're formed matters everybody knows that so first of all welcome professor barton how are you
2: excellent great thank you for having me yeah the book takes a look at supreme court justice backgrounds basically what the justices did before they got on the court and it starts with john Jay, the very first supreme court justice and it runs all the way through amy coney barrett and i did this partially because it's super fun yeah. Amazing, uh-huh. amazing group of Americans, as you might imagine. Uh huh. Um, but second, because I wanted to figure out whether the backgrounds had changed and it turns out they've changed a lot. Um, and I think in a bad way. Uh, so if Jackson joins the court, seven of the nine justices will have gone to an Ivy League school for undergraduate. Eight wow. of the nine justices will have gone to either Harvard or Yale Law School. Six of the nine justices will have clerked on the Supreme Court, and that's the hardest job to get out of law school. And three of them will have replaced the justice they clerked for. I mean, talk about incestuous. And then after that, I mean, it is true, Jackson worked as a public defender, and that would be different than what's on the court. But she also worked some time at a big law firm in DC. And basically, from the time that she turned 18, she and these other justices have an immense disturbing amount in common. And, and the, the, the Gorsuch Kavanaugh thing, these dudes went to high school together. Right. Like they've right, known right. each other since they were 15 and 14 right. and they clerked right. together at the same time on the court.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we're talking with professor, uh, Ben Barton. And by the way, let me say it again, uh, the credential court, I love the subtitle inside the cloistered elite world of American justice. It's a counter encounter books, everybody. And he's a professor at, uh, uh, Tennessee law school, university of Tennessee law school. Uh, And so, uh, uh, first of all, um, that's right. I tell people Chief Justice Roberts was the one where you can say, uh, okay, he was clearly like practice his whole life. He was going to be a Supreme Court justice. And so so did everybody else. When did this happen? Did this happen because of Bork, Thomas, and everyone went, "Uh oh, if you want to be a justice, you better behave a certain way because it's sort of everybody started behaving a certain way and coming from the same places wasn't always like this, Right.
2: Oh, no, it definitely wasn't always like this. Um, so I actually put this as a bipartisan issue. Um, and it basically, I started with the end of LBJ and the beginning of Nixon. The first couple Nixon appointees had a really, really rough road. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so uh, they, it'd be like basically, and you can think about it this way, like in the 60s, the Supreme Court left a, a period of relative sleepiness where they weren't a big deal. Um, There were Supreme Court uh, nominations that took 10 minutes in the Senate um, (laughs) in the 50s and in the 60s. Um, And all of a sudden it started to get to be a bigger deal. And then Bork and Thomas were examples where it got to be um, a a bigger deal also. So now presidents are worried about their nominations and they're worried that they're not going to get through and so they settle on trying to take qualifications off the table. And that's why you end up with this sort of same mold of people. And if you think about how divided the country is, it's bizarre that this is something that we could agree on as a bipartisan issue. Like we've backed into it. Um, the Obama nominees look a lot like the Trump nominees. And Jackson looks a lot like the Trump nominees as well. Like it's just like it's amazing that somehow we've managed to settle on this model. The well, irony is, pre- sorry, the no, irony no, is that presidents think they're taking qualifications off the court, but are they really? Like, did it help Merrick Garland? Is he on the Supreme Court because he had such sterling right. qualifications? How did it help Kavanaugh? Did he have a nice, smooth sail in because he was Yale-Yale? Yeah. Um, so it's actually not even really helping anymore.
1: Well, and again, we're, we're talking with Professor Ben Barton, uh, and he is a professor at the University of Tennessee's law school. His book is The Credentialed Court more troubling in a way it's not that if you go to Yale Yale you can't have common sense but the system expected that you would have um different kinds of people in there with different kinds of perspectives i hate to say it but the first african american woman is hardly a diversity pick i mean i, I don't I, I mean i know what it means to say she's a black woman an african american woman is diversity but you know where's the where's the um Uh, You know, a railroad lawyer or where's the CEO of a major corporation who everybody knows is very bright and very thoughtful and is going to be in there having a conversation about how these things fit together. I mean, at the very beginning, as you point out, if you were a Supreme Court justice, you know, in the first years of our republic. You might not get paid. I mean, you, you didn't know for sure you'd get paid. I think. I mean, it was it was a ten. You were you were you were uh, you were, um, you were living in a in a hotel. I think the early ones were living in a hotel because DC was a or maybe it was it was a DC. Oh, thing dude, was, the first sitting was in New York. There you so, go. Right. Yeah, yes, they okay. Had, they
2: hadn't even like DC hadn't even been settled yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So the the earlier so so earlier courts included former politicians. Right. The former president of the United States was on the court. Multiple senators right. had been on the court. It included super high level members of the government, multiple secretaries of state, a secretary of defense, a postmaster general all made it on the court. And as you said, it used to include guys who like their main qualification was best lawyer in America. Louis Brandeis is a famous example of that. He, gra- he did graduate from Harvard, but then the entire rest of his career was just being a awesome kick ass lawyer until they put him on the court. And you just can't
1: imagine that happening today. Right. And or best friend of the president, right? There were people that you know it, oh, was, yeah. it was it was was true that if you but so um is it worse now? I mean and by that I mean like, you know, you're a law professor. You 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 know, you do that we have made the court a sophisticated thing now i mean i and i by the way there's a famous speech at rehnquist i always quote it as if i remember it or know it but rehnquist in the 80s i think he visited somewhere the, uh, europe or maybe even the soviet union he came back and said we don't want two classes of lawyers where in this country we have judges you know from the beginning you become either a judge you know a class or you know bureaucrats or you become uh, practicing lawyers we don't want that we certainly have that right
2: yeah so um people ask me the worst question a lot and then they sometimes press me on it. And they're like, well, if we had a broader mix of, of experiences on the court, would it be more liberal? Would it be more conservative? Would the votes change? And I think that's really hard to say. Here's something that I feel really confident saying. This group of justices is like a basketball team where everybody wants to shoot the ball as soon as they touch it. Um, these nine folks have been the smartest person they know their entire lives. And it shows in yeah. how they do their job. Right? Um, they take fewer cases. In the cases that are disputed, you get more separate dissents and separate concurrences, and they're all longer. And if you read it now, they're longer and they're much more technical. And then you're like, well, why would that be? Dude, that's the skill we're sorting for. Right. We're choosing these people because they're awesome at that. So then when they get on the court, what are they supposed to do? Like their entire lives, they've demonstrated their merit by being the best and the best and the best at the sort of technical legal argumentation. And the irony is the modern Supreme Court especially the controversial cases, are handling what I consider to be not really legal issues. Like, like gay marriage is not something where you can study the Constitution. It's all written in there somewhere. Like these are broad policy issues where life experience would be really, really helpful.
1: So what is the solution? I mean, you know, i not say this to you, but you know what I'm going to, I mean, when I say this, well, Donald Trump was an outsider, so he put outsiders on the court. Not really, right? Not yeah. really at all. I mean, he, he put more conservative insiders on the court. So is there a solution or are we just stuck with this system? And when I, let me say it a different way. Um, if there's a populist edge to the American sort of public right now, which it feels like there is politically, yeah. it certainly is, that it's not going to be sated by another Yale, Yale uh, to the court. In fact, I think people are getting more if, and so far as they're engaged on this, they're more and more frustrated, but here's my warning out Come, the, come J- June 30th or July 1st, if there's a decision to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade and the media and big tech and all have positioned it that, oh boy, watch they're changing the direction of the, of the whole country. You're not supposed to do that. Right. That's why we feel like then the Democrats are like, that's right. I, you know, suddenly you turn the populist edge against the court could get pretty tough, meaning people would distrust it even more than they have, and they'd be even more frustrated than they have. I mean, where are we headed with this?
2: Yeah. So um, in terms of the backgrounds, uh, Judge J. Michelle Childs was one of the finalists here, and she had a much more old school background. Her The right. bulk of her career was spent in South Carolina, just being an awesome lawyer in South Carolina. She was a state court judge. Uh, we haven't had a state court judge on the court since David Souter retired. Um, and so she would have been, and she, she went to university of South Carolina for law school. She went to a public law school and a public undergrad institution. Um, so she would have been, uh, she would have brought life diversity as well as other types of diversity. And she almost made it. I think that, um, there's actually bipartisan interest in this, um, Scalia and Kagan and Sotomayor all have commented on this and basically agree with the point that the court is not as diverse life experience wise as it could be. And then the senators, you can see, have, have said similar things. Although, ironically, when it's Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, it's the Democrats who are complaining about it. When it's Jackson, it's the Republicans who are complaining about it. What we need is for them to get together and complain about it regardless.
1: Right. And uh, uh, so back to, my, um, back to my idea, my question, the, I, I swallowed my own question. Um, but how, what, how, if you could wave your hand, how would you fix it? What would you sort of say, would you get someone who articulated, hey, we're, we're I mean, we're not going to have the D.C. Court of Appeals judge that's in line next to move up. You know, Merrick Garland was nominated, didn't get there. But Kavanaugh, you know, Gorsuch was from out in Colorado, but not really. Right. He'd been out there for about a, a cup of coffee. It, wh- how would you change it? Would you try to any I can't change it by the law, I don't think, because the Constitution says the president gets to pick. But what would the sort of, um, you know, argument you would um, sort of position to tell people, hey, do it this way?
2: Yeah. So there's the realistic one, which I said, which is basically like sunshine. The book is an effort to get people to notice this. Yes. Hope the presidents will take account. Right. The unrealistic one. Listen, the Supreme Court uh, uh, is very, very, very ill-defined in Article three of the Constitution. Article three of the Constitution is, is really, really, really short. And so Congress has a lot of power to change things. So, for instance, one thing that I would bring back is I would make them ride circuits. That's what they did for the first 80 years of the court. And I would make them get out into the country, um, for swaths of the time and hear, hear trials, you know, hear cases that they're, they're at the top of this massive, gigantic system where they never see anything other than the very peak of it. I'd prefer right. to see them out and about in Kansas City or in Omaha yeah. or mm. in, in yeah. uh, Pullman, Washington. Um, I would also, you could also, um, they used to be associated with circuits. So they used to be actually geographically located. And that was more by um, tradition than by law. But the, believe me, the Congress could change that. They could just be like, you have to actually be from the Ninth Circuit or the Fourth Circuit or the Fifth Circuit. And by be from, I don't mean, like, they're going to they're gonna say that Jackson is from Florida, the same way they said that Gorsuch is from Colorado. Oh, right. Right, right I mean, not to be mean about it, these folks are not from there. Right, <laughs> like right, they've lived right, in right. D.C. for years and years and years and years and years. Um, so by from, I mean actually like living there and practicing there. Like like the last guy from Colorado was Byron Whizzer White. He was from Colorado. He grew up in Colorado. He did go to he did go to Yale um, while he was uh, ru- leading the NFL in rushing, by the way. <laughs> um, but then he headed back to Colorado. And was just a lawyer in Colorado until JFK put him on the court. So that's what I that's what I mean by from the place.
1: Do you think? And again, uh, we're talking with uh, Professor uh, Benjamin Barton, who's at the the uh, University of Tennessee's Law School, and and his book again, which is Encounter Books. It's uh, The Credential Court Inside the Cloistered, a uh, cloistered elite world of American justice. Did you do you get grief for this writing a book like this? Do you get grief? I mean, you, you're living in a world where I, I probably your colleagues are like ah, that a boy, but, you know, also living in a world where some of the people that are uh, on their way up are are have the credentials <laughs> that you're sort of describing, or maybe you're not bemoaning the credentials, but you're describing that they're sort of far too common on this high court. Yeah, so it
2: depends. I've given this talk to all sorts of different folks. Um, I've okay. given this talk at several Rotary clubs in Knoxville, Tennessee. And believe uh-huh. me, those folks really enjoy what uh-huh. I have to say. Um, you can imagine law professors and federal judges <laughs> are not super anxious to hear what oh, I have so to much. say, because they all come from these backgrounds and they're like, I've seriously had people be like, why do you hate merit? And I'm like, I don't hate merit. <laughs> what is, why is Why is our current definition of merit so narrow? Like every every president from Washington Ford has wanted to put the best person on the court. No one's been like, I just want to find a huge yokel. Yeah, um, right. But we used to have a broad version of merit. We used to have a version of merit where you could prove yourself, you know, in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s. Now, ninth grade algebra is a sorting mechanism for whether you can get into an Ivy League school and then eventually get on the Supreme Court. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's a great Finish. Great way to finish uh, because I, I that that is. There's so many things about it that uh, it's not just wrong. It, it's sort of wrong to limit the options for the American uh, people and students. But it's it gets you something as you say. You're sorting. You're sorting for a certain type of uh, of behavior, and you're getting it. So uh, yep. all right, Professor Benjamin Barton, the book the Credential Court inside the cloistered elite world of American justice. Uh, thank you for the time. The book is just out a few weeks. Everybody, I'll put it up on social media. Uh, really cool and, and great topic, and uh, I think it'll be popular with, as you said, with a broad section of folks. So thanks very much, sir.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com, and you can find this segment and others all there. I'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and I'm very pleased uh to visit with an old friend uh he is uh hal shirtliff and hal is the founder of camp constitution among other things in his life he's a does a lot of things but uh and camp constitution i want to make sure to talk about that before we talk about some other things he's up to because camp constitution if you go to campconstitution.net, you'll see it's um an effort the camp is founded he he did this to enhance the understanding of the judeo-christian moral heritage our American heritage of courage, ingenuity, and the genius of the U.S. Constitution, something all of which that right there that Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, loved. Uh, and, um, the, the, uh, camp, you can find out more, uh, on the website, campconstitution.net, uh, and look at the registration form and find out if it's some, something that, uh, fits, uh, the life of your, one of your family members or friends or others, um, this summer, July 17th through 22nd, uh, up in New Hampshire. Welcome, Hal. How are you?
3: No, I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me.
1: Hey, update on the camp constitution. I, you survived COVID and everything. I mean, you're we're through that now. How's everything going? Well, give me a, just a little. Yes.
3: Well, we had uh, we had camps in 20 and 21. In fact, last year we had our largest turnout ever. We had to. Uh, we had a uh, We filled our camp. We, we right. only so many only so many uh, beds and rooms that we can accommodate, Fantastic. and we're hoping to do the same thing this year. We also added a ladies' weekend retreat, which hmm. will take place late April into early May of this, uh, like this month. And we added a weekend family retreat up in, in my neck of the woods, just a few towns north of me. I'm in Alton, New Hampshire,
1: uh-huh.
3: um, and that's going to be the last Friday in September to uh, the Sunday, October second.
1: Hmm. Very cool. Well, good. Again, campconstitution.net. You can find out more, but I got an email from Hal um, in part because, well, uh, he sends them out periodically with information about an effort called Catching fire news and catching News And you know, one of the things, Hal, we talk on this radio show, a lot of us talk around the country. How do you find information you can trust? Well, you find people you trust and you either ask them, where do I go? Or you ask them, what does it all mean? And this mm-hmm. is an interesting resource. Tell me about catching fire news and what's going on there and what you're seeing and what your part of it is.
3: Well, uh, Tom DeWeese, who is the uh, founder and head of American Policy Center, and he's based in Virginia, probably about an hour and a half from you. Uh, Tom is one of the, if not the top expert on the subject of sustainable development, Agenda 21. And uh, a donor of his said, look, uh, we'd like to get to have this network. So it's some. I think it's something like Frank's speech, you know, Mike Lindell's yep, Frank's speech. Yep, yep. Uh, it's we. Uh, I just did my third show and we do hope to uh, have I don't know if we'll have a lot of live broadcast, but we'll do a lot of broadcast. Uh, we'll have uh, Patrick Wood. Uh, the man who sure. co-authored the books with Anthony Sutton will be one of the hosts, and Tom DeWeese, myself, and there'll be others added to it as time goes on. And it's uh, you know free. You go to that website you just gave out, and you can sign up for it. And you know what I'm seeing Ed, is that a lot of people are getting a little tired of some of the – even the mainstream conservative programming, uh, Newsmax and, um, and uh, Fox News. It, they tell you a lot of bad news, but there's never any solutions to it. Just more bad news and scoops and breaking news. Breaking news, but uh, this is more. Yeah, we got to we got to give the information out, but we we uh, challenge our viewers to take an act uh, to take an active role in solving these problems, and that could be at the local level. You know, the uh, as much as I dislike what he stood for, the old the late. Uh, tip O'Neill said all politics is a yeah. and he was right about that
1: all right you're exactly right That's this famous fan. His, his, his quote he'll be known for uh, catching fire news um, is the website I joined it takes two seconds there's not a lot of uh, nonsense and all and uh, so uh, how who who's on there what are you saying on there I, I, I totally agree by the way I think that more and more people are saying wait a second um, the new the, the model of Cable news, the, the the model is to make you crazy. So you'll come back and see if you can be <laughs> less crazy. And over time, it doesn't give you a way to feel good. I mean, intermittently, they'll make you feel a little better, but they mostly say, all right, you feel crazy. Good. Watch this pharmaceutical <laughs> ad and come back. And whether that's just CNN, exactly. MSNBC or Fox News, that's what's happening. So what what kind of thing? Tell me, like you just did three shows. What are, What are you talking about?
3: well uh i will interview uh people that are involved in the patriot movement. My first guest was uh my good friend Barbara from Harlem If you have not met her you won't- you won't forget her she's just on fire for for the Lord and for liberty and she doesn't pull her punches uh then I had um a guest on that's an author dr Felicia Nace and her book's she's got a book out uh, she's a black woman uh, 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 she's got a degree in uh english a doctor's degree mm-hmm. and um She's exposing the 1619 project and this nonsense called critical race theory. And she's encouraging people. Obviously, you need to take an active role, you know, and see if it's in your community first and then take action. And you need to have the right information. So that's what we provide. And, uh, yes, yesterday, I, there was a group that I just become part of about a year ago called the Mordecai Mission. Mordecai, of course, from the Old Testament and the one that stood up to uh, the king there. Uh, in the book of Esther. And uh they uh they have a game plan to use a sports analogy to get the get constitutional christians elected at all levels of government all around the country. And so they're very proactive. One of the men I interviewed was a uh actually he's a police chief of Highland uh Village, Highland City, which is the city within Detroit. So uh <clears throat> but I'll be uh, I'll probably have you on as a guest too, Ed, to promote your show and uh, you know the things that you do at uh, the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Well and and how you know the thing I, I hear from more and more from folks is uh tell me tell okay tell me what's wrong i got it and then sometimes you have insight yep. on that and then tell me what to do about it right tell me give me some give me some range of of uh of uh of options because um, the model again of agitate and and return uh, to to get agitated again. We're talking with uh, Hal Shirtliff and his website campconstitution.net. dot Very important camp constitution worth checking out if you have uh, family yourself. There's a bunch of events uh, as well as this, the camp this summer. And then we're talking now about ca- Catching Fire uh, dot news. Catching Fire news. This his new effort. Um, How. You've been around a little longer than me. I mean, not too long. I don't want to be getting in trouble with you, but we've been a longer than me. And you've watched the ebb and flow of the information battle um that you know we used to say well why, why aren't we hearing about how the congress voted i'll never forget i often tell my listeners uh, back in in early 2010 i think it was i had an old timer come up and he said i never used to know how my congressman voted until they they print the you know the print the votes three weeks later i never knew now i can find out and he said i'm mad you know as an old old democrat actually who was uh, wanted to be more voting more conservative but this information battle how um are we losing it? You know, you try your, your day job is trying to get these kids to understand young people understand the Constitution and its values. Uh, but are we losing it? Because the values seem to be less present. So it's hard to teach about something they never heard of. And uh, and then when you say, well, catching fire news, catching fire news. Well, OK, good. But it's like a, a, a literally like a thimble in the ocean.
3: That's true. I think if you asked me this question four years ago, I'd probably say no, but I'm seeing some great turnarounds. Um, the fact that I think I have to I have to lay it on the feet of COVID. As bad as COVID was, as destructive it was to our liberties, it sent the children home, and uh, the whole country was homeschooling. Now, they didn't call it homeschooling. It wasn't right. your typical. It was remote learning, but for the first time in three generations, parents— I mean, for the most part, were paying attention, and they didn't like what was going on. And look what happened to Virginia. That was totally unpre- not not predicted by the left. They had no idea what was coming. And so I think that there's been a major shift, and it, it takes time. You know, the, the enemy has had 100 years, and I think they had about a 50-year head start because most of us, I'm not speaking about us, of course, but most of the <laughs> the average American are on the sidelines. And we talk about a culture war. Well, you have to have two sides fighting, and if if the one of the teams... Is in the locker room. <laughs> it's yeah. not much of a war. Right. But finally, right. I think uh, people are, are fighting back. What, what we see in Disney, for, for goodness sakes, with this, uh, the bill that was passed in Florida. Yeah, and, it, and and I see the pro-life movement uh, gaining much momentum too. Uh, you know, I was at the uh, March for Life uh, in uh, 2020 in January, and I never saw so many young people. We're not talking about ulsters with gray hair like us, or like me, but uh, I don't think your hair is quite gray. Uh, but they were young people, 30 and under, it yeah, was just phenomenal. And these people are going to be a force to be are a force to be reckoned with.
1: Uh, we're talking again with Hal Shirtliff and, uh, I'll put up on social media all these, uh, we're talking about both the website, uh, catchingfire.news as well as campconstitution.net, uh, his sites. Uh, Hal, I, I think I share your optimism. I was actually you beat me to it because I'm looking at catching, uh, fire.news and one of the, uh, one of the, your colleagues there was had a, a piece on COVID and I was trying to, I was going to ask you about that. I think that the COVID challenge, we, we lost ground. In some ways, we lost some huh, we, we spent way too much money on things we didn't know. I mean, you know, you're on one on camp Constitution.net, I think your website, you've got Sam Blumenthal's uh, Blumenthal's um, uh, archive. And he, of course, wrote the you know, famous book with Alex Newman, uh, which is on my desk right now. Crimes of the Educators. Uh-huh, and yes. And and, um, and, you know, we lost a lot of traction in the covid spending. They, they bailed out unions, union pensions, all kinds of things happened. We can't even understand. It happens so chaotically and fast. But a lot of people said, wait a second, what what am I bought into here? What is this? How are we as a nation? How are we rooted together? And uh, so I think that's really good. I just want to pause, though, and ask you again, Hal, your observation. The power of what I call the narrative machine, big tech, big media, and big government, to tell us what the truth is and then just to hammer us until we either accept it as true Or, or we don't even notice that we've been forced to. And I, you know, I think on transgenderism, we see Americans fighting back, right? On sports. But there's other, lots of other examples where most Americans don't fight back. They just kind of sign up. Oh, well, well, you know, I guess that is what that, I guess that is progress, right? I guess it is progress that we're going to have pronouns when we go to, uh, to, uh, places. And, and that, that's so the power of the narrative machine, how just feels unbelievable right now.
3: I have to agree just just with these ridiculous masks, you know, back in March of 2020, even St. Anthony Fauci, the magnificent, he said, you don't really need to wear them. They don't do much. And then two months later, we get to wear masks and they didn't have to worry about enforcing this. You didn't have to have police giving people tickets, arresting them. The average citizen was more than happy to be deputized as an enforcement agent. You go into a store and people are in some cases, people were shot dead summarily executed for not wearing a mask and uh it's just um it's very troubling uh but you know and because i had the mistaken notion in uh, in when i was living in boston in may of 2020 when the mandates the so-called mandates came out they have to wear a mask i said there'll be civil disobedience in two months i was wrong yeah uh, people yeah. love the mask they didn't want to take it off I, heard, I think it was joe rogan who said that the mask is sort of a maga hat for the left
1: yeah <laughs> they will
3: with pride you I, I know I think
1: that I think they do that's I think that is
3: uh But uh, I, that's why uh, there's a god in heaven and that's uh, where my my comfort is because uh, it's troubling and then you say well you know what I don't always understand god's plan but there's this there's, guy has a plan. The other good thing about COVID, you know, this Agenda 21, one of the goals is to get people out of uh, rural areas and get them into the cities so they can be controlled easier. People are moving out of the cities and like us, you know, and we're so delighted to live here where we are. Yeah. Instead of looking at commuter rails, I'm looking at, uh, Uh, at uh, woodpeckers and woods and trees and deer, you know. Uh, But a lot of people have relocating out of the cities, and they're not all leftists. A lot of the people like me, uh, my family, and uh, and we're moving into rural areas or areas that are, you know, semi-rural, and then making a difference right away. You know, uh, here I I started writing a column for the weekly newspaper and joined a local uh, tri-county Republican group. And so I just got in here with, with two feet.
1: You know, mm-hmm. my, with my foot, feet running, uh, hit right. the ground running. That's what I'm looking for. I hit the right. ground running here. Yeah. Um, well, it's um, it is. I think that's all right, and I think that it is true. It's just it's amazing to think about uh, the power right now. All right, Hal, I got to run. Hal Shirtliff again, right. uh, found, founder and Thank head you. of Camp Constitution, CampConstitution.net, also news. Uh, I'll put it up on social media. Thanks. Thanks very much, Hal. Thanks,
3: Ed. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Everyone, you're very welcome. We'll take a quick break. Don't forget, you go to proamericareport.com and you can find all these segments over there and links and others. And I will uh, post this up there as quick as we can get it done. And we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
4: At Eulie High School in Nassau County, Florida, it's been the custom for students to read the morning announcements. One of these students would end his list of announcements by saying, God bless America, keep us safe. Two atheist students contacted the Humanist Association, and suddenly religious freedom was on the line. The Nassau County School Board's first reaction was to ban the phrase, God bless America. But then the board had the good sense to consult with its lawyers, who correctly said that the phrase, God bless America, does not violate the constitutional rights of other students. So the school board reversed itself and okayed the students' use of the phrase, God bless America. We can thank our friends in Don Wildman's American Family Association for getting involved in this controversy and backing up the student. American Family Association President Don Wildman commented afterwards, This is a wonderful lesson for the students about how a wrong can be made right. It's clear that religious freedom is under attack in so many ways at the present time, and I congratulate and thank all those who stand up for our First Amendment rights. It's obvious that the goal of the atheists is to chase all Christians inside their churches and prohibit any mention of God or Christianity or even religion in the public square, in any public place or event, or in any public school. The atheists don't want young people to know that the phrase God bless America has permeated our history for hundreds of years. How the attack on our religious freedom got started and became widespread under the Obama administration is well told in my book called No Higher Power. You don't hear much about this controversy in the mainstream media, but it's eating away at our basic constitutional rights and Americans should be alert to guard against it.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Freedom of worship and the right to express our faith and read our Bibles is foundational to America. At Phyllis we promise to track mounting threats to the free exercise of religion and equip you to fight back. Your defense begins at Phyllis Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: All right, everybody, it's Ed Martin. We got to wrap things up. I went long on both of those great interviews, but that reminds me to tell you please visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, or go to my Twitter feed, at Eagle Ed Martin, at Eagle Ed Martin, or over on Facebook, uh, Facebook Live. It's Ed Martin Live, is the num- name I'm under. And do me a favor and get these great interviews. Listen again if you'd like, but also forward them on to others, like them, uh, you know, subscribe. It's a big help. So these are great interviews. I went long with both of these interviews today because I just thought I couldn't stop. Uh, so interesting interesting. interesting and so timely, and I figured I'd give up some of my time talking to you to let us hear from them. So thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, and thank you to Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. We will be back tomorrow. And by the way, this week is opening day in baseball for every team. They'll all be open by the end of the week, and it's so exciting. I love baseball. I'm glad it's back, and we'll uh, talk more about that. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow.
0: This is the Pro-America Report.